Welcome to the Recovery Lab podcast. We're glad you were able to join us. Recovery Lab hopes to destigmatize addiction and normalize recovery. Our platform provides an avenue to share the many stories of those that have recovered from addiction, providing for the listener the most basic antidote to addiction. Hope. All right, dear friends, we're back. This is episode number 43 of the Recovery Lab podcast series. I'm Drew Hassan. I'm Daniel Anderson. We are the Recovery Lab. Today, we're joined by Pam P. Pam P. Pam P. Welcome. What's, what's the most unique thing about Pam P for our uh, uh, <laughs> episode today is that she's an Al-Anoner. Yes. Yeah, I'm yes, Al-Anonic. Yes. From the other side. From the other yeah, uh, the room across friends. the hall, mm-hmm. <laughs> where all those alcoholics wonder what we're talking about. They think we're talking about them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we know we know something different though, don't we? Do? And we do. Yeah, we don't talk about them. But when I first started going to meetings here in Jackson, there was a church. I mean, I, I guess I can say that it's the church that has all the pumpkins at Halloween. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's where you started going to meetings. One of the main places. Yeah, that's where I started going to meetings. There would be on Mm -hmm. a Friday night. They had they had AA and Alan on there, Mm -hmm. and and childcare. There would be Mm -hmm. there'd be a couple hundred people there. Oh yeah, yeah, it was packed. Uh, Divide into they had the AA meetings. I never went to Alan on meetings, but they had the AA meetings divided into you know they had those movable partitions in the big room they would have separate meetings in there just to try to get you know have a little more opportunity for people to talk now, that's I what mean, we did we would break up in our Al-Anon meetings and I think we broke up into three different it's been a long it's been a minute since I've started so they would break up into groups too I don't well, think this would have been in anymore. like 96 97 well that's what yeah. I started in 96. Yeah. That's awesome. I thought you looked familiar. Yeah. Yes. You know, You're- it's it's crazy that so I I've been involved with the with the you know, the not drinking side, the recovery, the twelve step side for twenty years, right? But uh here recently I started attending an Al Anon because uh Al Anon meeting because I wanted to understand um first of all I have um I have issues with uh you know codependency issues and um, just things that that I wanted to really work on um, and so I, I started attending this meeting and um, I, I wanted to understand because my parents are Al-Anon my parents have been going to some sort of Al-Anon type of, of awesome. group for God since I've been going to to AA or 12 steps. Well, you know, I've always said if you scratch an alcoholic, you get an Al-Anon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty That's good. Right. That's right. And what, what I found is, and you touched on it right here at the, at the top of the, of the show is, um, you know, I, I always, I kind of had this thought that, um, you know, Al-Anon, I mean, I, I, I felt as though they were against me, mm-hmm. especially in early sobriety. Mm-hmm. I felt well, like they are. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we have to come to our meetings is so we don't, we're not against you anymore. Right, right, right. That's how we, that's how we, that's part of our recovery. Yeah. Is we quit blaming you for our problems. Right, right. So tell us, tell us a little bit about how you got involved with it um, and, and what that looks like for you. What, what, um, I don't know how to. 
be well, careful with this. Yeah, I um I started going to meetings in '96. Al-Anon meetings. I had been involved with Codependency Anonymous because I knew that I was codependent right. um, for years. And then um, I had a friend who was attending Al-Anon. I thought, I'm going to try that. It was very gratuitous that I started because right after that, the alcoholic who was, was closest to me at the time uh, ended up going to jail uh, as a result of, of his disease. And it just turned our family upside down. It mm-hmm. was a very public, um, and my name is is um, very recognizable in this area. That's why I wanted to have some anonymity, not only for, for me, but for, you know, the folks in my family who've had to deal with this, right. just out of respect for them. 100%. Um, so... It was it was a very, very difficult time, and, and I struggled not only with what was going on with him, but how that affected my family, so my parents uh, specifically. They really, really struggled watching him go through all of this, and then I was also very angry, um, and I've... I, I've, I also have an opportunity to attend and, and haven't through the years gone to what's called an open AA meeting. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I do that for my own education so I can hear um, folks who are struggling with this disease talk about it. Um, and that's where I developed a lot of empathy, where it was actually hearing how difficult it was. But I was just, and, and like a lot of folks who show up who are new, um, family members that show up, they're just pissed. They're just really, really angry because of what's going on around them, and they feel so out of control. Uh, my experience has been, when I go to an AA meeting, folks, newcomers usually show up broken. In Al-Anon, they just show up mad. Mm-hmm. You know, why am I having to go to a meeting when they're the ones... That's acting a fool. Mm-hmm, that's misbehaving. So, and I, my, my experience was very similar. Um, and then, after everything blew <coughs> up, I... I started to see that I did not like my own behavior. I was not showing up as the person I wanted to be in relationship to that person. And I struggled with that for a long, long time. Um, My story is, you know, I've had a lot of people in my family who've struggled with alcohol and drugs. I don't really call them alcoholics because that's their journey, not mine. But... Al-Anon is for family members and friends who struggle with someone else's drinking or using, okay? That's, we feel like, um, and so we want to have an open door for those folks to be able to come in. And little by slowly, I began to see that even though my family member and my loved one was struggling with this disease, I was struggling with my reaction to the disease. And that was on me. That wasn't their responsibility. Right. You know, I was responsible for how I was getting triggered by what they were doing. And I, the longer I came, I started to see that I was just giving my power away. You know, somebody would do something and it would make me angry. Well, then all of a sudden it's all their fault and I'm a victim. Right. And what I've learned and with the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous is I began to see that I'm powerless over my reactions and that was really hard for me because we are such control freaks in in Al-Anon we want to control you because we have this belief that if I can control you I'll feel better (laughs) and all that does is feed my own addiction to be in charge 
and I had to I had to learn how to let go with that of that with the steps. So I began to take the steps, and and with the help of a very good sponsor, began to work the steps. An Al-Anon sponsor. An Al-Anon sponsor, mm-hmm. and and I had an opportunity. Uh, my my sponsor for many many years was uh, a woman who was also she was what we call a double winner. She was also <laughs> a um, a crusty old alcoholic who lived out in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And she and I would visit every week, and she was um, also in the Al-Anon program. And, and that was such a blessing to be able to hear her perspective, even from an AA perspective, right. um, about how um, she struggled with the disease. And one of the stories is that, um, so my, my loved one ended up drinking himself into a diabetic coma. And he was in out in another state. So I flew out to that state in order to be in the hospital when he was in his coma and to relieve my father so my father could, could come back home. And this was my mother was deceased at the time, which to be honest, I was grateful because it was it was it was horrific. And um, as soon as I got there, I looked up where there were meetings. And I, I, I remember I walked into the hospital room and my loved one was literally chained and tied to the bed because he was delirious. And as soon as he saw me, he began to cuss me out and say that he needed a cigarette. And I was able to say to him, I don't have a cigarette. I'll be back in just a little bit. And I left and went straight to a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Got a little recovery and came back. In the 10 days that I was out there, I probably made 20 meetings. And I'd go to the open AA meetings, go to Al-Anon meetings, because the chaos that happens when you love someone who's struggling with this is that my default is you're an idiot to have gotten yourself in this situation. Instead of some kindness, you wouldn't choose this. You would not choose to live your life this way. Um, and that, I was able to show up as a kind and, kind and loving person. And that's, that's my goal, is with anybody, you know, is to learn how to be kind and loving regardless of how I'm being treated. And it, I cannot do that without a good steady diet of meetings and recovery. I just don't show up that way. I show up as a victim or I become the um, the abuser, and I I know that a lot of um, every what do they say every alcoholic or addict probably affects anywhere from fifty forty to fifty people. I don't know sure what the statistic is, but anywhere everywhere you go, the AA meetings are so much bigger than the Al-Anon meetings. Right. So. If I'm going to support and, and, and be the person I want to be, then I have to find some recovery. And that, that's really what my goal is. My, um, I'd love to tell you there was a happy ending with my loved one. He did not survive the disease. Um, he died one day short of his 49th birthday. Um, and I'll be honest, I was relieved because it was so hard. It had been so hard for so long. And I was like, now he's got recovery. You know, now he's okay. Because um, he just he couldn't find it here. And um, I've learned how to now 
work on having a relationship with him that is kind and loving. Can you, and thank you for being honest, would you back up just a minute and talk about when you said that you experienced relief when he passed on, I would imagine that there are countless people that have experienced that same thing and at the same time experienced a tremendous amount of shame and guilt around and that guilt yes. around that. Yes. How did you, how did you navigate that? Navigate yeah. that. Yeah. You know, it was hard. Um, my initial relief whenever my father walked into my house and told me was relief. Um, because it had just been so, so hard for so long. Um, he started using when he was a teenager. Um, and, you know, that constant, I think as a family member, we're always, I don't know if everybody does this, but I was like, is he going to hurt himself? Is he going to hurt somebody else? You know, and he did. He killed somebody. That's how he ended up spending some time in prison was that there was a drug deal that went bad, and he shot shot him and killed him. So, you know, that's always in the back of, of my mind is, you know, what's going to happen? Is he going to hurt somebody? Is he going to hurt somebody else? Um, I'll tell you that the rooms of Al-Anon allow us to have those feelings, and, and I needed to let myself have those feelings. Um, and that's where I worked through them. You know, I'd love to tell you that I'm a great spiritual giant, and I was able to really work through that on my own, but I just couldn't. With the help of a sponsor and the help of the meetings, I was able to process that and work through that. And then to be able to have, um, after he died, really have some compassion for him. If I have a regret, it's that I wasn't able to do that as much whenever he was alive. And so instead of drowning myself in shame and guilt around that, why not then work on that toward other people? So he was a great teacher to me in that, you know, I wasn't able to show up with him as much as I really wanted to, but now I can do that for others. Right. You know, I had a recent experience where someone got really, really mad at me. I mean, just pretty angry at me. And it took me a minute to, because I felt so victimized by it. And then I stepped back and I thought, no, here's an opportunity to have some compassion. You know, here's an opportunity for me to show up and be loving and kind, um, even whenever I feel a little bit victimized by it. And that's how it was with my loved one, is I felt victimized by what was happening in his life. I was the victim. And he was just misbehaving. So now I can look and say, he was sick. Right. You know, wounded people wound, right? Wounded people wound. And we all do it. I mean, we all wound other people. So if I can take the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and be powerless over that, and then realize that there is some sanity, step two, and then I begin to turn my will in my life over to something other than myself, and that's been my problem, is that I always thought I could control it. Right. So if I can turn that over, and then I love the process of the steps because then I can take an inventory. And that at that point, I'm not looking at anybody else anymore. I'm looking at myself. What's my inventory? You know, and I, I know what my defects are. And I know I've been in this program long enough that whenever one of my defects raise its, raises its head, 
then I need to really look at myself and look at what my behavior is. And then I can process that, that fifth step. You know, I process that. And I love the order. You know, we admitted to God <laughs> first, right. then to others, and then to myself. Um, and then I can go, and I think the, the two steps, in my opinion, that get the, the least amount of attention that do the most good for us are six and seven. Because that's where I know and show up that I'm powerless over my defects, and I can ask for a spiritual awakening that's going to remove that. But it also removes what is in the way of my usefulness to others, right? Right. So six and seven, and then I can start making some amends. So how do you, you touched on it, but how, how, how do you get over, this isn't something that I've necessarily experienced because I, I'm also an alcoholic and an addict, but how do you, for someone that's, that's first coming in, how do you explain to them that, that to not be in, in the victim mode? Like, in other words, like these, these people they're having to go through this effort, leave the kids at home, find a babysitter, come to a meeting because of some other idiot that's in their life that's causing them harm. So how exactly do you do you reconcile with with the other with this person that you're having to deal with? Like how how do you how do you get to a point and I guess it's just working the steps and working with with others, you know, in the in the recovery community, but how, how do you find how do you get to a, a, a place where you can be at peace with this other person that is causing you harm and forcing you to work on yourself and you didn't do anything. It's completely and utterly them, but their life is, is causing you grave, grave discomfort. So how do you talk to someone? How do you explain to someone that this is something that you need to do in order to be happy and, and, does that does that make sense at all like how do you get to that point where you're not in that victim mode but you're you're helping this other person to to get to a point where they're ready to work on themselves and and understanding and not anger angry towards the 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 qualifier in their life yeah it takes a minute you know I is, mean, that, is that just through through working the steps and, and well i mean how did you get sober yeah <laughs> one day at a time right right you know and so we I, the, what I love about AA and Al-Anon meetings is that we create an environment where you get to be exactly who you are when you walk in. We're not trying to fix anybody. You know, that's my disease. <laughs> it's trying to fix. So what I want to do is show up as a loving and kind and healthy person so they'll keep coming back. You know, that's, that's the solution It's just to keep coming back. And then getting to a place, I think we all evolve the way we evolve, and we give them permission to be angry. Go ahead and be angry. Yeah, I was angry too. Be angry. Have your anger. Just do no harm. I, was, I really was blown away the, a few meetings ago when that young lady came in, and she was just perfectly silent, but just tears were coming out of her eyes, and mm -hmm. you, just, you could tell that she was she was dealing with She's some emotional hurting. stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. and not a single person in that room did anything that could even remotely be taken as judgment towards this person. No. We were loving and caring towards this person and, and we were accepting of, of, of where these people are because I've only been going for a short time, but you guys, you, you just, you really made her feel at home 
and that she was safe. Yeah, we have something in our meetings that they don't have in AA meetings. It's clinics. Because a lot of folks just come in and they're angry and they're sobbing and, you know, and okay, yeah, here's a safe place. And that's what, you know, it's been a while since I had my first meeting, but what I've always felt when I walk into the rooms is that I'm safe. I have permission to show up exactly the way that I am. And then I can get to a place where I can, um, for me, it was, you know, I came for a while. I was disillusioned. I was unhappy. I was insane. And then I, I kept looking around at all these people, and they would laugh at the most inappropriate things. <laughs> you know, just the craziest stuff. Right, right, right. And, and I thought, I want to be like that. I want to... I, can't I want what they have. Yeah, I want what they have. I can't remember the last time I laughed. So, and it took me a while because I was I was very very angry, um, and you know I, I actually said this to somebody recently. Anger is just under under anger. Ninety percent of the time is fear. That, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to lose them. I'm afraid they're going to leave me. I'm afraid they're not going to leave. I'm afraid that I can't raise my kids by myself. I'm afraid the financial insecurity. I'm, there's just a lot, a lot of fear. You know, the big book talks about a thousand forms of fear. Mm-hmm. And the alcoholic and the addict struggle with that. So does the Al-Anon. And we're doing it sober. Right. You know, we're just... We're watching all of this stuff kind of swirl around us, and we're like, how do I get relief? And and that was the big thing for me, is I could go for an hour, and I would go back at St. Phillips a million years ago. The meetings were Monday, Tuesday, and Friday. Friday. Mm-hmm. Monday, Tuesday, Friday. I made every one of them. And then there was a Wednesday night meeting that was over at, um, what's that Catholic church? Anyway, there was a Wednesday night meeting that I would go to, um, the only day I didn't go to a meeting would have been on Thursday because on Saturdays and Sundays I went to open AA meetings. So I was making a meeting, and, you know, we laugh. Some are sicker than others. I needed a lot of meetings. Sure, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, and I felt whenever I went in there, I didn't say much. I listened a lot. And eventually this miracle happened. I asked for help. And that, I think that's what we wait for. My sponsor was always, wait for the question. Just wait for the question. And, you know, I, I was like, and that's what I do. When people come into our meetings, I'm not going to force myself on them because they need to ask for help. When an alcoholic wants to get sober, they ask for help. That's how you know the miracle is getting ready to happen. Same thing with Al-Anon. If I force myself on somebody and try to give them a solution, then I'm just getting away in the way of the miracle. Yeah, you do a beautiful job of just laying out your experience with 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 life, and I mean, there's there's no, not once have I experienced any sort of pushiness that you need to do this, you need to do this from in, you or anyone else in that room, and you know, I'm I, I I'm venturing to to think that that's probably common throughout all Al-Anon meetings, is is that lack of of pushiness and judgment i mean for us in in aa that ain't gonna you know that's not gonna work somebody comes in there and says you need to do this 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 we're gonna be like no 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 
No, I ain't going to do that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Right, right, right. Yeah. That's why, you know, the women that I sponsor, and I'm, I've just had the privilege of sponsoring so many people through the years, I wait for the question. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they call me. I don't call them. You know, and, that, and that's just how I was brought up in the program. And if they want to work the steps, we'll work the steps. If they don't, now, some, some folks will say, if you're not going to work the steps, I'm not going to fool with you. Um, and I was like that for a little bit. And now I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to show up and be a, a listening ear. Mm-hmm. And if they ask me one day to work the steps, I think that's awesome. Because my experience is when I did that, <laughs> I started getting better. Um, but if, if all I am is just a kind and loving person in their life right now, then I'll do that. I can show up for that. And it helps me. You know, sponsorship through the years has always been this awesome gift of being entrusted with. And, you know, and, and that's the thing. Um, we, the 12th step, you know, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, uh, we tried to carry the message. And in AA, it's to alcoholics. In Al-Anon, it's to others. Because I showed up, and I think a lot of Al-Anons do, we show up in the meeting because we want to get them sober so we'll feel better. That's really the motive. If you'll just straighten up, I'll feel better. And it's a lie. It's, it's not going to happen. If, if they get better, great. But I'm responsible for sharing the message with others. And, and that's what was really hard for me to capture was that I kept trying to help people who didn't want my help. You know, and it's specifically the alcoholics. I don't know that, and family members, if you're listening to this, you are not going to get them sober. It's not going to happen. I've been coming for 27 years. I have never seen a family member get a loved one sober. This doesn't happen. The family dynamic, the triggers within the family, all of that stuff sets us up for failure. But... If we can get better, we can help other family members who are struggling with that. And that's where the miracle happens, is that we try to carry, and my, my sponsor used to always say, Pam, you need to carry the message, not the mess. That's good. So I have to work on, and some days are better than us. Some days I carry the mess. I mean, yeah. just because I come to meetings and I work the steps doesn't mean that I am a perfect human being. And that's why it was important for me today to have some anonymity because I don't want my personality to get in the way of somebody else finding recovery. Right. You know, I have an op- I work in a profession that naturally makes people angry and frustrated with me. Well, I don't want that to be a reason they don't go to a meeting. Right. My personality getting in the way. Um, so anonymity is the spiritual foundation of our program, and I want to focus on the program and not my personality. That's why it's so important to me to maintain some semblance of anonymity, because it is a spiritual foundation. It's not about, you know, and recovery right now is kind of a fad. You know, everybody's getting into recovery. Okay, whatever. But it's the program. It's not the people. It's the program. And so I want to I want to focus on that and because I I'm still Pam, I still do stupid things. I still struggle. 
but I used the program to help me get better. Yeah. To recognize that and to move more toward. And don't we all want that? I mean, yeah. I want that. I want to show up to be the kind of person I want to be. And, and that was one of the exercises that I did early on is who do I really want to be? Who do I want to show up as? I started working on that. And, you know, I'm, I'm really start on, on any given day. I'm showing up as the person I want to be. Um, I had a, had a situation recently where somebody was upset with me. And um, I was upset with them. We we had mutual. It was mutual. There was a mutual. You know, we didn't show up the people that we wanted to be. <laughs> and um, you know, one of the things, and I'll I'll marry these two things: the history. So my my loved one goes to treatment, and you know what I started doing, and and, and he went to a lot of treatments. Okay, there was a lot of money spent on treatment. Um, and in the last one, I thought, well, maybe he'll finally make amends to me. <laughs> oh, man, how arrogant and self-righteous. Um, and it, that didn't happen. He died before I got my amends. And, um, and I thought, boy, Pam, that, what a crappy person that you're waiting for them to, him to make the first move. So in this situation, I felt like I was judged and, you know, and I, I had misbehaved and I felt like I was judged and, you know, I had to go sit in the corner and suck my thumb and poor me, woe is me type thing. And I had an opportunity um, to, I spent some time, I detached with love, spent some time really working on myself and I had an opportunity to be in close proximity to them. And I immediately thought, I can show up as the person I want to be, who's healthy and in recovery, or I can just be an asshole. Yeah. And I thought, I'm going to try something different. I'm going to show up and be the person I want to be. So I, I was able to, to walk towards them, to make eye contact with them, show some gratitude uh, to them around some things. And then whenever I walked away from it, I felt good about myself. That's beautiful. I, I mean, it's 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 truly a beautiful program, and something that I don't know why, but this this keeps popping into my head. Um, not too long ago, somebody came in and was talking about how a loved one or or someone that was in their life was angry at them for attending Al-Anon mm-hmm. for so. Can can you help me and and others understand why why someone would be angry that their their loved one is going to to work on themselves and get healthy for themselves? Like what what is that disconnect that this person was angry at this person for going to a, a meeting to better themselves? Like what is that about? Well, I don't. I try not to live in other people's heads. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if I had to you know, stepping back from that and looking in, it's just a very controlling behavior. I don't want you out there talking about me. And so there's a, and once again, anger under anger is fear. I'm afraid that you're going to expose something about me. And and maybe not enable me quite as much. Yeah. Well, true. Yes. Yeah, definitely. It's it is a struggle for family members to actually show up. And we'll see a lot of family members who have 
gone to these family weeks, you know, in treatment, and then they'll start coming to, to Al-Anon. The problem that I will see in that scenario is that uh, once their loved one is better, they quit coming. Right. And so you've, you just lost an opportunity. So for that young lady, you know, I really felt for her, but the there's a family dynamic that's going on there. And once she gets to a place where she realizes that it's more important for her to find some recovery than to pacify his anger, you know, but it's a tough situation. I don't have a solution for her. Yeah. I, I, I've not had that experience. I can only pray that she, and, and once again, give her a kind and loving space where she can show up. And perhaps one day she'll be able to, you know, have enough recovery where she's able to love this person and let them be who they are. And isn't that what we all want? Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, when I walk into a room of people, I, I just want to know that it's okay for me to be me. Right. And sometimes that's the hardest thing for me to do. <laughs> you know, because I'm out there. I struggle from, I struggle from what you think of me is so important to me that I lose me. A lot of Al-Anons do that. You know, that's how we end up in these situations is that we're just so worried about what somebody else thinks that we're not willing to show up for ourselves and find some recovery. So it's not an uncommon thing, I would imagine, for a lot of family members uh, who show up and, and the alcoholic is angry about that. That's one of the reasons, if I could give any advice, if... As a family member, if you are considering going to a meeting, don't say you're going to Al-Anon. Say, I'm, I, I've got a, I'm going to go meet some friends at church, or I'm going to go meet some friends for coffee, because there's normally there's coffee around. But don't tell them you're going to Al-Anon because it's automatically a threat. And unfortunately, you know. It most definitely was for me when the whole Al-Anon conversation started coming up with my parents. My fear was that, they're not going to pay for what I want them to pay for. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not going to enable me, like you said, Drew. Yeah. You know. So yeah. If you can keep that out of the scenario and just, you know, go to, you know, have a place to put your anger yeah. <laughs> for an hour. How long has it been since your loved one passed away? Oh, golly. It's 10, 10 years or more. It's been a minute. Been a minute. Yeah. 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 And, um, we were able to, he, he was able to find some, uh, some recovery about six months and was in a halfway house and then got kicked out and he was dead in two days. Jeez. Yeah. So, um, and I, you know, I'll say this too, the, the most relief we had as a family was when he was in treatment or jail. Yeah. Cause then we knew where he was. <laughs> Right. <laughs> this wandering the streets and not knowing, and there was a long time. You know, he, he ended up living in a tent in Georgia. Um, we, he had a, we have a family member down in Florida, and she took him in, and he stole her car and her television. <laughs> he was just, he was a, what are the, in the big book, it talks about, you know, the tornado coming and the family oh, yeah. members coming out and going, oh, my God, and the alcoholic going, everything's fine. <laughs> Yeah, I was that tornado. I was one hundred percent the tornado. The tornado in our lives. <laughs> what I think is what I think is beautiful is that your what what we would say qualifier has has long since passed and you still feel so strongly about this program that you attend on a regular basis. Like yeah. that's that's a beautiful thing to me. 
oh yeah, well I keep coming because I like who I am better. Right. You know, it's not. It was never about them. You know, when I first came, it. it I tell myself it was. It really wasn't. I need recovery. I've been affected by the family system of alcoholism. My grandfather. My grandfather um, struggled with this disease. I have an uncle who struggled, and all of them died from the effects of this disease. So it was coming at me in several different places. Um, Yeah, so I keep coming because whenever I come, I'm reminded little by slowly that left to my own devices, I'm a dangerous person. An untreated Al-Anon is a dangerous person. They are angry, they are judgmental, they are controlling, and I'm, I'm talking about myself. Yeah. You know, left to my own devices, I'm, an, I'm a pretty ugly individual. I can do some harm if I don't continue to work this program. So I, I keep coming for myself. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm grateful now, and I'll get emotional again, but I'm so grateful to the gifts that I got from my family member for the the lessons that I learned. I'm not sure that I would have gotten it any other way. I needed the hard lessons. I, and I, I, I laugh about this in meetings sometimes. It would have been awesome if I came out of the womb a spiritual giant. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I just didn't. So I needed some pretty heavy dose spiritual lessons um, so that I can then become the kind of person that I want to be. So, yeah, I keep coming, um, not only to be the person I want to be, but also to be of service. I feel like I am of service when I show up to meetings, when I get in the room and I can hold a space for somebody who's struggling. And then, to, to your point, Daniel, I want to show up and be real. I am a messed up person. I struggle a lot. I am not by any means perfect. And I want to be that. I want to show all the mess and have some, which is really hard for me, have some integrity about I don't do it right every day. I, I really have some problems. And if I can do that and have some integrity around it, then I can then be an example of how, well, then you can work through that. You know, there's a way through this. There's a way to get to the other side. And I think that's what the main attraction is for any any person wanting recovery from whatever it is, is to know that there is, there is a way out. Mm-hmm. There is hope. And there is a way to turn... Just as using your language, you know, I want to show up as the person that I want to be. And the sad news is, is that we are able to do that really only in the reflection of the ugliness of our past. Correct. I'm a better father today because I was a bad father. I'm a better employee today because I was a bad employee. Mm -hmm. And this goes on. Husband, son, member of society only because I was an awful version of that before. And I can see pretty clearly how I get to be a better person and how I can 
if mistakes are made and things aren't addressed, I will be that person again. Yeah, and, I will say, and Daniel knows, I say this all the time. Even if I was a horrible family member, I want to love and accept myself deeply exactly the way that I am. I want to hold some compassion for myself. Even if I show up as a really crappy friend sometimes, I want to love and accept myself deeply exactly the way that I am. And once I start having compassion for myself, then I open up compassion for others who are struggling with that. I want to show up who I am, love that person, forgive that person, so that I can do that for other people. But you're, you're so right. Well, I spend a great deal of time thinking about ways I can view certain of certain facets of the human condition, life, whatever you want to call it. How can I view this in a way that might be of some ultimate benefit to myself? And when I can get to the place where I can either articulate or envision some good that can come out of something bad, well, then I'm well on my way to recovering from that particular thing. And we always do need the constant reminder because it's easy in that train of thought to get stuck at, I fucked up again. Uh-huh. I did it again. I did it again. It is my nature to mess up. <laughs> I don't know why I try to do any different because when my kids piss me off, I turn into a monster yet again. Yet again. After having uh-huh. sworn it off a thousand times. Uh-huh. When I can, if I can arrest that thought and get to where, okay, I need to find an outlet for my irritations or whatever. And then I need to have a, a platform, be it going to meetings or a podcast or talking to friends where I can share how I made that mistake for the humpteenth time. Yet I dusted myself off and am trying to find something useful with it. You know, it is in finding something profitable from our mistakes that we really get some, it makes you feel good. It does. It makes me feel good to have the podcast and to get on here and to just be real honest. Like right. I, I messed that all the way up Mm -hmm. and I was an awful person to people that plainly did not deserve it. We embrace our human condition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Look, I did this in hopes that the next man can say, you know what? I too did some shitty stuff. Uh, you know, I hurt people that plainly didn't deserve to be Mm -hmm. hurt. Mm -hmm. And to your point where you're, you know, you're talking about how, Basically, we've we've all done horrible things, and that's how we've become the people that we are today. Is the reflection of the ugly, right? Yeah. Right. We have learned from our mistakes. So when you, I, I, I want to try to keep that in mind because I too was just a terrible, horrible person when I was in active addiction, and it took what it took in order for me to become the person who I am today. And I, I genuinely like that person today. I, I think that he's a good person with a good heart. But it took what it took. So it took what it took. Otherwise, the shame cycle. Right. Right. Us. Right. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and we can't break out of right, that. Right. Like I am inherently a bad a person. Bad person. Right. I didn't just make bad choices. I am bad, right. and it's so easy to get stuck in that. Yeah. The, the Brene Brown goes off on that a ton with that you know shame is i am bad and guilt is i did, I did bad. bad and you know it's very important but also you know 
if, if we can remember where we came from and, and getting in meetings and, and talking and all of these things that we have in our lives really, really help with that. But all of a sudden, you know, we, we're, we're a lot more likely to have compassion towards other people because this person may be acting a fool and well, I also did that. And I know it, why it, you're doing right, that. Right, right, yeah. right. So it's, it's important to, to keep that in mind, you know, in our past, like what, who we were and, and how we became who we are today. Because if we can do that, all of a sudden we have compassion for, for these other people. And that all stems from being able to have compassion for yourself and, and understanding that, you know, I, I'm a, as we all know, I'm a huge internal family systems. I talk about this at every meeting just about, <laughs> but it has changed my life, you know, and it's, it's the, the, the belief that we are made up of, of numerous different pieces and all of those pieces are working in unison to try to protect me. So if they're trying to protect me, they're not working against me. They're their work- nature isn't bad. Right. They're, they're not inherently bad. They are trying to help me. And maybe the way that they, they go about things the, it, it, from it's causing an unacceptable causing, outcome. Right, right. But the, at, their, at their core, there's not a piece of me that wants anything harmful to happen to me. So when I walk through life with that mindset that, Every part of me is trying to work in unison to be a better person, to help me survive and be a good person. All of a sudden, the compassion that I have for other people that are not acting the way that I see fit, it, 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 the compassion begins to grow and grow and grow, and suddenly I'm not Well, it mitigates hateful. judgment of other people's. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, but, don't we, ju- we judge ourselves? 100%. You know, and that's I'm, where I'm I had the, to... I'm the biggest judgment of myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. I've got, you've mentioned the spiritual nature of your life and your practice. What, describe for our listeners how you try to maintain, grow, develop, enhance, work on your spiritual mindset, your spiritual condition. It's a great question. Very good question. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm a big believer in meditation. What does that look like for you? Everyone says, oh, I meditate. What does that look like for you? Well, and and let me just say this: I I've been a, I'm a lifelong journaler. Oh, uh, so I have journaled since I was a kid, and I I have like, you know. Anyway, I I I will do a lot of self reflection. Um, I have a practice every day, wherever, whenever, and it it varies, but. I do get up, I, I drink some water, I take the dogs for a walk, I come back, I get my coffee, I go to the back porch. And in that time, what I will do is I'll center myself, I will sit, I have this awesome oak tree in my backyard, and I will look at that tree and think about how awesome that tree is and how much I love that tree and how that tree has grown. And I'll watch for a minute and just really get focused on nature. I'll listen to the birds. I have some pets. They'll all kind of come in and jockey for space on my lap. And we just kind of have a moment. Meditation is um, focusing on my breath. I breathe out. I know I'm breathing out. I breathe in. I know I'm breathing in. And I do nothing but focus on my breath. And I, I also attend some meditation groups here in town I was introduced to that um, about five or six years ago and have found it just this very powerful experience of sitting in a room and saying nothing with five, six, seven, eight other people. And then we do have a, um, a lady who will share 
and then we have a little interaction there. But but sitting in a room on a cushion for 30 to 45 minutes saying nothing with other people. And what that does is it helps me um, calm the monkey mind. So if I can just think about my breathing in and breathing out. Now, I just didn't come out of the womb thinking that was a great idea. It took me a while to get to that, but I have found it incredibly beneficial. So that's part of my practice. And then I will... Um, a, a guy, he was a circuit speaker, Rick, um, Rick J from Toronto, would talk about mind dumping. And he would get his journal and he'd dump everything that he was thinking about in his journal. Jot, 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 jot. And he'd write it all down in Just his Just free journal. writing. Just, Just free writing. Let it open the gates, yeah, I, let yeah. it out. They did this, I did that, work this, you know, I got to do this at the house, those kind of type things. Just dump it all right down in there. Then I take the book. And I set it aside, and then I will pray about that or ask for clarity around anything that I just put down. And then I will have a, um, a book that I will read right now. I'm, um, what is that? Uh, I love it. It's not a program book. One of the gals in our meeting mentioned it, and I'm drawing a blank on. Anyway, I'll just have some type of a book that, I'm read, that I will read through, and I'll read that, and it's, you know, a page, page and a half. And then I'll journal that. Because if I don't write it down, I'm going to forget about it as soon right. as I get up. There is a psychological magic to writing things down. Mm-hmm. I've not been able to put my thumb on. And it's a practice that I have really gotten out of over the years. I have, at various times, been a, a journaler. Yeah, I have found it very beneficial and even went through several years of the gratitude journals. And I'll share a story. I don't know if you've heard me talk about this or not, Daniel, but when I was new, um, I was upset. I don't remember. I was upset about something, and that was back before cell phones, okay? And I had a cordless phone, you know, that went to a state, you know. Right, right. You know what I'm talking about? Landline? Yeah, I had a landline, but it was cordless. I thought I was fancy. (laughs) And so I was living in this house, and I was real upset about something, so I had my cordless phone, and I went outside, and I had a big swimming pool in the backyard at the time, and I sat on the end of the diving board, just wah, 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 complaining to my sponsor about something that they did. And she said, I want you to write down 10 things that you're grateful for and call me back. Click. So what? What? Did you not just? And I couldn't say anything. There wasn't anybody on the line. She just hung up on me. I thought, okay, all right. So I went inside, and I got a piece of paper, and I wrote down 10 things that I was grateful for. I called her back. I said, I did it. She said, good. Do it again tomorrow and call me. And from that point forward, every day I'd write down 10 things I was grateful for. And this is the catch. You're not allowed to repeat yourself. I feel feel it (laughs) incumbent upon me to share this. So I had a friend who ended up being... It's a sad tale, and if I described his life with too much specificity, people would certainly know who I'm talking about. Uh, he offered up one of the better ideas I've gotten in recovery, and I do not think that he died sober, and there are there are dubious factors regarding his death in general about how it happened and it was just a sad story but he had a long list of things 
that he created and owing to the doctrine of repetition strengthens and affirms, he would read that list to himself every day Mm -hmm. and say, I am grateful. And he would read the list. You know, I am grateful for this. I'm grateful for that. And it did help. And I've used that before and even recently, you know, have a, a list of things that I'm grateful for and repeat them every day so that I reinforce this idea. Yeah, that's another way to use it. But, I mean, I would have never thought on my own to be grateful that I lost a job. Right. Or to be grateful that I had conflict with my friends. Or to be grateful that I was, you know, separated from my family for some time. Oh, look, that's Ph.D. level uh, recovery right there. When we can, you know, experience an adverse situation and somehow not get into the woe is me, I mean, this always happens, why do they have to do it to me, don't they realize, you know, blah, 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 the list goes on. We know what these things sound like. And can can stop that and instead replace it with, why should I be grateful that this happened to me? Right. And why should I be appreciative of the lesson learned? And how can I use this to my benefit going forward? I got to say that, that that whole experience a few weeks ago when, when I lost my technician, that was a wonderful opportunity for me to, to practice just that. And it was very difficult. But I but what I did was, and, and just a little bit of a backstory, when, when I used to not have a technician, I would I would double up on the amount of drugs that I have in order to conquer the, the task at hand. So it, it the not having help, was was a contributing factor in fact there were times when i was trying to get sober where i the the person would either call in or something would happen i wouldn't have any help and i would relapse and go take drugs because i felt like that's the only way for me to achieve that to to get this job done that's my exactly exactly so when this whole situation it it just we, we we had to part ways for a bit and my first thought was was not um, oh my God, I'm such a victim. Look at me. How horrible is this? My first thought was, okay, God is wanting me to learn something. God is teaching me something. Something good is supposed to happen. And there was no question as to whether or not that my technician needed to to go on his own path for a bit. Um, there was no, oh, well, maybe, maybe. No, no, it was very clear to all parties involved that this needed to happen. So there was a, there was a calm peace that kind of came over me and, and we were in the middle of a three bathroom job, you know, in, in Bellhaven that, um, in the past would, I would have just completely been overwhelmed. But what I did was I paused once I, once my blood, you know, came down a little bit after the whole interaction, I paused, I sat for just a second, I got centered and I asked God, okay, God, I need to get this done. Please help me. And, and I just sat in that uncomfortability, which is something that before I came into, into recovery, I was unable to sit and be uncomfortable. I had to be comfortable. It's so difficult to learn how to look a couple, yeah, to play the permutations and calculations out. You know, I'm reminded of the, so Dan Bilzerian is that playboy poker star guy. I don't know. He's all over social media, but he had a snippet on Joe Rogan's podcast one time where he was retelling the story of the the Chinese farmer 
And so, I, if I can remember this, so the Chinese farmer's sitting there and his horse runs off, and the village people come to him and they're like, Man, we're so sorry. You know, are you upset? And he's like, I don't know, maybe. You know, and the next day the horse comes back, but he brings a wild horse with him, and all the townspeople come and they're like, Man, great. This is great. You got two horses now. And he's like, I don't know, you know, maybe. And then his son is trying to train the wild horse and. The son is bucked off and breaks his leg, and every, the townspeople come to him, and they're like, "Man, we're so sorry your son broke his leg. You know, it's awful." And he's like, "I don't, you know, I don't know, maybe." And then the next day, the conscription officers show up, and they're drafting, you know, the townspeople to go fight some war, and they leave his son there because he's got the broken leg. And so, I mean, we see where this is going, yeah. right? Yeah. That you never can tell what the ultimate impact of something is going to be, right? And if you can't tell what the ultimate impact of some occurrence is going to be find some way to have it be positive right <laughs> and what and and i and i carried on with that with that thought and that that uh, frame of mind for two weeks and i worked by myself for two weeks and i had quite a few really really big jobs that would have completely overwhelmed me but i pushed through it and what that did was there was there was a mental there was a win there was a win there that I pushed through this. I got the job done and, and I did it to the best of my possible ability. And, and the, the whole victim mentality was God kept that completely away. There was, I was not a victim. This was something that I was doing to build character and to build perseverance and to prove to myself that I can do it. And what happened was me and my technician after two weeks of, of trying to find some, some more help, nobody wanting to work, and, you know, we, we kind of had a talk and, and with, with new, you know, guidelines set and, and boundaries set, uh, we, we started working together again. And he came and, and we had two big out-of-town jobs last week, and uh, we, we had numerous talks. And what, what that time for him did was it was time – because he was trying to find a job too and couldn't find a job. And, and what it did for him was it, it, it helped him to, to realize that when, when he gets angry and when he gets worked up in his head, that, that really affects his anxiety. And he's kind of got like an anxiety thing now um, that, that has kind of developed because he's, he's beginning to get sober and he's, he's, his brain is a lot of emotions, a lot of emotions. Yeah. So yeah. that two weeks for him made him appreciate what we have now. And, and that two weeks for me made me appreciate the fact that I can do this by myself and, and be more appreciative of the work that he does because it's a hard job. What he does is a really hard job for me. And, and I kind of took it, you know, I, I didn't take advantage, but I took that for granted. For granted. You know? Mm -hmm. and, and, and maybe felt a little bit right. boxed into a corner. I can't do this without him. I guess right. I gotta exactly. So put up, uh, yeah, I've got, I have to suffer from him because he knows he's right. got me. So, so that shift in perception, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm identifying the positive things that happened as a result of this. And that's something that came from this program. You know, that, that absolutely came from this program is being able to shift that perspective and get the hell out of that victim mode. That's where I, I love to go if I let myself, and I'm comfortable there. Oh, I it can, helps us justify can, so many bad oh, yeah, decisions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, well, me too. So, I'm, <laughs> yeah, super, super grateful for those two weeks because now we're, we're better than ever, you know? There was a, a um, thanks for sharing that, Daniel. There yeah. was a book that came out. It was real big whenever I first got in. It was called A New Pair of Glasses, and that's really what we're doing. 
family members or people who are part of the in the recovery community we're just trying to put on a new pair of glasses so we can look at the world differently change your perspective just change the perspective and i shared this in a meeting a couple of weeks ago in this particular book i'm reading um there was a, a gentleman who went to go visit his mother in a nursing home and or his grandmother and they were talking, and then finally it got kind of quiet, and she looked through the window, and she said, such a gloomy day. And he was like, it was beautiful outside, but he noticed that her window was dirty. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, you know, dirty window, dirty world. Right. And so I think we suffer from dirty windows, and it's not anybody else's job to clean the window. That's our job. Right. So I've got to, and then, you know, if I can clean my own window and I, and I have to do it every day, I love to tell you I did it once and that was it. But if I can clean my window and then see the world as it is and see myself as I am and then love other people exactly the way that they are. And that's the challenge, right? Yeah. Is whenever somebody else is doing something, it's just to love them where they are. And I never had, I always wanted to have that, but I wasn't able to do that for other people until I started doing it for myself. And and then I began to, and I, I went to therapy for about six or seven years. I was very faithful uh, in doing that so I could work through the family systems. And it's really opened up the steps in the program of recovery even more vividly for me now. The window's a little bit cleaner now so that I can then hold a space for other people who might not be behaving the way I think they should because I hold a space for myself when I don't show up the way I want to be. Right. You know, and we begin, we, we are, we start with ourselves, you know, let it begin with me. That is a big, that's one of the slogans in Al-Anon, let it begin with me. So, you know, my, my family member did not, um, achieve sobriety in this lifetime. Um, I think he eventually got that. Um, he got it his way. And, and so I can now, because of that, that life experience, be a person who holds a space for people who are struggling. Let it begin with me. Do I wish that I was had been able to do that more fully whenever he was alive? Absolutely. But I can't go back and beat myself up because I didn't. But I can give it to the people who are in my life today and and who I am today. That's what I want to That's why I keep coming. Yeah. What an awesome opportunity for you to practice gratitude for the gift that he left you of being able to experience that and grow and learn from that. It's absolutely And have beautiful. the space to permit Feeling remorseful, right? Mm-hmm. To feeling, you know. Oh yeah, it's yeah. all, it's all a part of it's it. It's all. Yeah. What was that thing we talked about in the meeting? It's all. It's all important. Yeah. It's all. It all is. Yeah. You know. So to discount any part of it is just another opportunity for me to not look at myself and work on me. Yeah. Well, we are about out of time. We've gone over our hour just a little bit, but I want to. First of all, thank you so much for coming on here and being with us. My and, pleasure. And sharing thank you for time. the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So um, 
say there's a someone listening right now that would um, you've you've piqued their interest and maybe they want to feel like Al-Anon could be something that could be really helpful for them. How do they go about uh, finding an Al-Anon meeting in their area? You can go to the Al-Anon website. They are awesome. And actually, there are uh, 24-7 online meetings now, Al-Anon. Zoom meetings? Zoom meetings, Mm -hmm. if you wanted to show up that way, and phone meetings. They've been doing those phone meetings for a really long time. And then they will have lists if you just, I mean, Dr. Google tells us everything, right? So just Google Al-Anon and then wherever, uh, whatever city that you're in, and you'll get a list of all the different meetings. Some of them will be, um, and you know, we're so blessed to have members of the other room coming into our meetings now. So we do have open and closed meetings. An open meeting would be anybody with any, you know, curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Can come in. And then we have closed meetings, which is just specifically for family members. So pay attention to that. And then just go try one out. Um, if, if it's a healthy meeting, it's going to be, we're going to protect your anonymity. We'll never talk about you. We'll never mention that you were there. We're not going to ask you who your family member is. Um, we're just there for you. We're there no for No membership family. pledge, no monthly no, dues. You don't, and there's not a, you know, and this is the thing, is that we don't have a secret handshake that's going to get them sober. Yeah. I think everybody shows up and they want to know, you're going to teach me how to get them sober. Well, I'm going to just go ahead and break the news to you. We don't know how to get them sober. <laughs> we don't have any idea. But, but we do know how to how to um, get some emotional sobriety for ourselves, and that's what we want to offer family members. Amen. Absolutely. Hey, awesome. This has been a delight. Thank Absolutely. you so well, thank much. You. Thank, thank you thank so you. much, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, if you would, uh, please like and subscribe on wherever you are Push listening to buttons. this. Push, Push those buttons. Push those buttons. And uh, we will see you next week. We've got, uh, I think, Jeff Wall is coming on next week. That's going to be a fantastic episode. Pam, thank you so much again. Thank and uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next week. We're out.